podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Dr. Clay Lauder suggests we answer a few questions before reading his book, Winner's Travel. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you have a game plan for the rest of your life? Do you need a guide? Do you wish you had a coach? Would you like a simple system to change yourself and your family? Are you ready and willing to make a change? Clay Lauder has developed the concept of winner's travel to help his patients live healthy lives mentally, spiritually, and physically. One trip to the doctor could change your life. Let Clay's passion and enthusiasm for life show you how you can make easy changes and start living your best life possible. Valeria interviews Dr. Clay Lauder, the author of Winner's Travel, a doctor's guide to mental, physical, and spiritual health. Clay Lauder is a family physician, author, motivational speaker, coach, and farmer. Clay's mission is to change lives mentally, physically, and spiritually by speaking, writing, and counseling. Clay's whole life has been dedicated to helping people, whether it be doctoring, farming, coaching, or being a father and husband. He is now beginning to spread his career of helping people with his new book and public speaking. His central mission is to change lives. Meet Dr. Clay on claylouder.com and winnerstravel.org. Here is the interview with Dr. Clay Lauder. In your own words, who is Clay Lauder? Um, Clay Lauder is, that's a good question. I am, I think I'm a multifaceted um, guy. I'm a family practice doctor, but I grew up in a farm and I also love to farm and I farm about 2,000 acres in South Carolina. Um, I'm a a softball coach and I've I've coached my kids all throughout their years in sports. And I'm also a motivational speaker and I'm just proud of that's the new phase of my life where I'm trying to move into inspiring others um, and just encouraging them kind of where they are. It sounds really wonderful to me. And I have some questions here specifically about your work, your book, Winner's Travel, A Doctor's Guide to Mental, Physical and Spiritual Health. So I have some quotes from your book that I really, really liked, but I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Before that, 
Let me ask you these open questions. The first one is the meaning of true health. What is that? What would that be from your perspective? Well, I moved back home um, to a small town of Sumter, South Carolina, and I started my own family practice 25 years ago, and it was called Louder Family Practice. And on the back of that brochure, I just put that true health was the blending of the mental, the spiritual, and the physical. And to really be healthy, you needed all three. You needed all three. I didn't want to just be a doctor you came for for a cold or Z-Pack. I wanted to be a doctor that treated the whole person. And um, I'm really proud that that my whole, I guess my whole motto and whole business has grown out of that. I have about 400 employees now, and it's now Colonial Healthcare, and we have one of the largest practices in South Carolina. And I think it grew out of us understanding that patients need more than just um, a doctor to come in there and write them a prescription. They needed somebody to be their friend, to look them in the eye, to, to know about their family, to help them not only physically, but spiritually and mentally. So that was my first, I guess, motto of health. And um, I put that to good use, I think. Spiritual health, what, what does it look like to be spiritually healthy? Well, it's, you know, in these times and everything is so political, it even seems to me that spiritual matters are political now and you have to be very careful. But I just ask people to have perspective, to to believe that we're all here for a higher power and a higher reason and for somebody other than ourselves. So I ask my patients just to take five minutes a day, just to slow down, put your phone down and just be be alone. You know, pray if you want to, but just be alone. Um, get a good book. I, there's some good books I recommend to my patients, and I ask them just to read really slowly. You know, just read two or three pages and just think about what you're reading and and study a little bit um, the science of life and and just. I guess it just gives you an attitude of gratitude and just be thankful. Make a list of the top three things you're thankful for in the morning and ruminate on those all day. And it, it just gives it gives me peace in my life. I'm a, I'm a Christian and it's a big part of my life. But I encourage other people just to take some time and be thankful and just just fill their body. And I think they become a little more spiritual the more they do it and the more they kind of get used to practicing that a little bit. It's a simple technique. It's not anything that's thrown at them or pushed at them, but it's just simple. And I find that my patients really enjoy talking about those type of things. What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience? I, I, the older I get, the more purpose, the 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 biggest purpose is to help others, is to be there for other people. I think I say in my book that there's a surefire way to cure depression, and that is to find somebody who needs help and help them. And it is a guiding force in my life. If not, the human mind will go to its default motion of being negative and being depressed. I think it's normal for all of us to feel sad um, at some times. I, I like to quote some, you know, in the Bible, they said Jesus was the man of sorrows. So to me, the human condition is sometimes that of suffering and of sorrows. And so how do we deflect that? And that's by helping other people and making it your main purpose. You'll find that other people are not as fortunate as you are, and they're way worse off than you are. And so I just try to encourage my patients to I, I got a perfect job because I get to help people all day, but I encourage them to find that. And I find that that's the meaning of life is when I'm doing for others, 
then I'm not depressed and I'm happy and I'm, I'm a better family man. I'm better with my wife. I'm better with every relationship by just helping other people and getting that proper perspective. Where, what, and who is God to you? That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me think one second. Well, you know, I hope and pray that there is a higher being. I don't, I was counseling a patient the other day that was this really sick and dying. And I, and he asked me about that and he's, he's not really been a Christian. He's kind of dabbled in a little bit spiritual. And he just asked me some simple questions, very similar to what you're saying. And I said, Hey, look, I don't know if this stuff's hundred percent true or not. I don't think anybody knows. I said, but I have peace in my heart while I'm here on earth because I feel like I'm serving a, a higher purpose and a, a father-like figure in a God who in my faith and my religion sent his son to die for my sins. And it and the grace that he gives me and the love that he gives me, it honors him and gives me the opportunity to pass that on to other people. And that understanding of grace is what makes me believe that there is a God and there is a father-like figure and he's here to love us and help us. Some other religions are dependent. It seems to me, I've studied them. Um, it's dependent on your um, works and your ability to perform as a human. And Christianity is all about grace because it gives you um, forgiveness for the most part. And that's a broad statement. But in, in general, that grace of Christianity is what the religion, you know, that sinks the most in with me and makes me um, believe in it the most. And I, I'm not sure where God came from. That's what I'm going to ask him. Mm -hmm. First question is, where in the world did you come from? <laughs> and how did you get here? Because that's one of my big questions. And so um, I, I love to think about it. And I love to, to ponder it. And um, that's, a, that's a great question. What do you love most about being in a human body? I, I love the outdoor feeling that my body gets when I'm outdoor in nature. And I'm by myself one-on-one -on -one with God or with a family member and I'm enjoying the great outdoors and um, exercising or whether I'm fishing a little bit or just getting away and I'm enjoying what my body can do um, athletically, um, sweating a little bit, um, getting the cobwebs out of my head and um, and then I just feel refreshed and new and then I'm ready to go help somebody else. So I think that that being able to rekindle and refresh in, in the outdoors is big for me and my family. The next one is about the challenges we have been facing in 2020, not just challenges, but changes too. So my question is, at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And I have another one. Do you have a vision for a new reality after 2020? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I love to predict the future. <laughs> Great. <laughs> my, 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 um, my favorite movie is Back to the Future. And I love that somebody took the time to connect the 1950s with the 20, the 2000s and beyond and what it looks like. So I love to kind of think through that movie and how it somebody creatively had to think through that. And why shouldn't we be thinking that way? So that's sorry. That's my little diatribe on that. But um, <clears throat> so I feel the world today needs to quit thinking about themselves and start thinking about other people. And we're so caught up in ourselves and, and even to the point where we're offended over every little thing, 
what you, what you might believe versus what I might believe. And and I think we got to get to the point to realize that other people, they need us. They need us. And we need to be engaged with them. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter um, what your background or spiritual upbringing is. It doesn't matter. We need to be in there together as human beings. As you can see, this we can divide really quickly and get offended over nothing. And, um, you know, my daddy always told me, just be tough and have some thick skin. Let some of that roll off your back. Don't don't believe everything you think, you know, just kind of let it go a little bit. And if you are helping other people, there is no way you can see skin color or problems or backgrounds or spiritual differences. You 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 have to ignore it because you're trying to really focus on helping that other people and not helping yourself. And I I can't. I can't say enough. I think that's the number one problem. We got to find somebody needs help and help them. And that's why I started this winter's travel movement. It is a movement and I'm giving away free trips to caretakers, to people who, you know, take care of other people all day, every day, and they can't travel and be blessed like I can. And so I, I love that show Extreme Makeover Home Edition where they give them a home. I cry every every single time. <laughs> and and I said, I want to do something with my life like that. And so I've created this Winter's Travel Foundation. Um, I would love some donations because any money I get, I'm going to go to giving a caretaker a special trip somewhere in the U.S. or or the islands and just going out there and giving them that trip. It'll, it'll just bring tears to your eyes to watch it. And it unites us, you know, in this day and time, it unites us. And that's exactly more of the things that we need going on. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you are good. You are good. I like that somebody has thought through these things because mm-hmm. people misunderstand freedom. They, they think that freedom is their right to do anything that they want to. The freedom is the opposite. The freedom is is sacrifice of myself, uh, the giving of myself so that you may experience life to its fullest and do anything you want to and please. So that sacrifice is freedom to me. And so people say, oh, I have the right to do anything I want to. Yeah, well, yes, you do. You know, if you go by the strict definition, that's right. But what it really means is how can I help other people? How can I sacrifice my life so that you may do that, that you may do that? Like, I sacrifice and work every day so that my kids have the freedom to go to college. And it was an important value in our life, but I sacrificed for their freedom. Now, they don't understand it either. But I think people just misinterpret that, don't you think? What I wonder when you talk about helping others, it's really, I mean, it's the most profound thing that we all know to be true, which is to help others to be more selfless. But I wonder how we can balance helping others and helping ourselves at the same time. Do you think it's possible? I do. I do a lot of different things in my life. And so variety, I mean, I'm a farmer, I'm a doctor, I'm a coach, I'm a speaker, (laughs) I'm a motivator. (laughs) Um, And so I do a variety of things to balance my life out. And I do think you need some quiet time every day. You need to be by yourself every day. Um, you need to read every day. It's a lost art. And um, I try to read every single day of my life. I'm a voracious reader and I'm better off because of it. And I think that gives you the perspective you need. Um, and then when I'm by myself, 
and I exercise. I do a 10 minute exercise routine. I don't exercise for an hour. I do 10 minutes and I do the high intensity interval training where I'll, you know, walk for two minutes. Then I run for 30 seconds, walk for two minutes, run for 30 seconds at 10 minutes. I'm done. So I don't burn out. So, um, and I think that's better for our bodies than working out for 45 minutes strenuously, you know, like running for an hour or so. And uh, I highly recommend that to my patients all day. I mean, I'll even do it feeding the chickens. I'll run and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pause cute. for 20 seconds, then I'll run and then feed this chicken and then run and feed my horse. And, you know, I just do it on the farm. So it's a little lighter, but I get balanced by reading. I get balanced by quiet time. I get balanced by exercising and then being outdoors. And then I do treat myself. I, I, I love to travel. That's, you know, some of the books titles. I'm always planning the next vacation. And so I do reward my hard work with some travel. I love to go to Clemson Tiger football games and, um, you know, really cheer and be passionate and, and kind of displace my negative thoughts by pulling for my team. And we've been really good the past five years. So, <laughs> so I, that's kind of, you know, I guess that's why you get balance. Um, because people will, if you help them all day, every day, like I do, it can get to you at times and you have to watch it. What is love to you? Love is time, simply just time and effort. Just if you care about somebody where you really love them, you you put nothing but time and effort and energy into focusing totally on them. And, um, and then that's what kind of creates that special bond where you're inseparable and that um, they'll love you for life. Like I love my patients. I love my wife. I love my kids. And all of that is I put time into them and I breathe energy into them and, and share them. I, I send them encouraging texts. I think about them during the day. I, I know my wife's shoe size and bra size and everything. And so I, every piece of clothing and jewelry my wife has is because I bought it for her. So I just think putting that time and effort into um, all your relationships is, is what love's all about to me. Unconditional love. Let's talk um, about love in general. Is that possible to love others unconditionally, even before we love ourselves unconditionally? Do, do, do. Oh, man. I thought you were asking about winter travel. Okay, let's see. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> I love it. I love to be challenged. I would say it's possible, but it's very difficult. I think you can do it. It takes a special person. I believe there's a few unique people that can honestly do that. I think I strive for that where I love somebody without any, you know, thought of um, return on my investment. But I'm not sure I can quite do that 100%. I think th oh, there's some people I think throughout history that have been able to do that. And I think that is a huge, huge gift. My... My, um, you know, communication is words of affirmation is my, you know, <laughs> love language. And so I need that from other people. And so it's very difficult for me to when I do some my acts of service or some kindness for somebody and they don't give me the words back. And so I worry that that interferes with my ability to unconditionally love. But I'll study that one. That's a good one. That'll make me think. Let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer, Clay? My mom is an English PhD. And she always made us read when I didn't want to. And I became addicted to it. And I love to write. I just think somebody in medical school taught me that a written man is a learned man. And meaning that 
when we write, we think differently. And I think this this generation with iPads and phones, it's it's going to hurt. I mean, there are just writings all over my desk and stuff. When something comes to me, I just write it. And I had notes um, before my house burned last year. I had notes everywhere. of, And I even had another book written. So it's kind of sad to, to lose that handwritten um, stories. Um, I love stories. Jesus taught in stories. I talk in stories. And I guess I just had in the back of my mind, I need to put that all together in a work. And so that's where Winter's Travel came from. What about the title of the book? What was the inspiration for that? Well, Clemson football team was playing in Atlanta um, in a big game, the kickoff classic in 2012. And my brother, Dr. Milt Lauder, who is a sports psychologist for the Clemson team, told me this story. Um, our coach Dabo Sweeney is just legendary for trying to build um, young boys into men, and I love his style. And the you know that's his primary goal. And winning football games comes second to him. Well, he he brought in Evander Holyfield, who's um, people are out of the boxing realm, but but he was the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, and and what an outstanding guy. He's got a foundation, and all he does is help help young men these days. But Evander told the team that night. Um, and my brother called me and said, you're not going to believe this. You got to hear it. And he said, look, he said, boys, just because you came here to Atlanta tonight, you're winners because winners travel, winners travel. And, you know, always, you know, have a vacation or plan where you want to go in life and see something and always travel. Well, I kind of was thinking back to that true health definition and it just flew all over me that that's it. That's it. Winners travel, a doctor's guide to mental, physical and spiritual health. I just tied it in together with true health like where are you going it's not just traveling to the the islands it's like what's your game plan of your life where do you see yourself in 10 years do you need a guide do you need a coach do you need some <clears throat> goal setting and so the whole book about is about game planning your life with an athletic type mindset like where do, what do i want to see before i die where do i want to go who do i want to talk to um what do i want to tell my mom and dad or my parent, life is short. You know, I lost my dad this year. You better say it now. You better plan it now. You better go now. And just written goals and a solid game plan is a winner's travel life. And um, I sure have enjoyed this book and giving it to my patients and letting them share a part of my life and some of the miracles I've seen in, in life. And it's just been a neat experience. So what would you say to people who have lost their relative ones, the loved ones. And how did you cope with that loss, Clay? Well, my dad had Alzheimer's for many years and um, they put him in, a, we, we had to put him in a nursing home and he, he died of COVID, but it was not the disease. He died of COVID isolation. And by the time they let me in the nursing home, he'd lost 35 pounds and just even he didn't even look like the same man, and it just broke my heart. To, they finally let me in, and he died that day. And um, I really had prayed for God to take him. His mind had, had been gone for so long. And but but when you lose your father, my father was an excellent daddy to me. It it hurt. It hurt me beyond belief. I did not realize it was going to hurt me that bad because I was his caretaker. I was his doctor. I was his, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I took care of every medical need too. And so it just, it took a part of me. I think it's changing me. I can feel it right now. And so I'm kind of learning this as I 
as I go of how to help others with with the loss of a parent or loved one, especially with COVID and with the isolation. The isolation is to me as worse or bad than the, the COVID is because we kind of miss that as a society. We're we're in the United States and we have freedom. We should be letting at least one person go to the hospital and visit these people who are dying. At least one family member visit the nursing home. You know, enter at your own risk, cover up best you can. But that that isolation is killing us as a society, in my opinion. Um, as far as um, helping people cope with grief and illness, I mean, I do that all the time. I I pray with my patients. I sit down and talk with them. I I get them to go back and make lists of things that are right, um, something about a loved one that was a special time in their life or something funny they did, just re- and and what they're grateful for that that person taught them. So we sit down and we make a little journal, we make some notes and write it, and it just seems to help people to write when they feel that despair and despondency and it's over and over in their head. Why did you become a family physician, Clay? When I went to medical school, I was going to be a you know cardiothoracic surgeon, and then then when I got there, I switched to orthopedic surgery. I did really well in school, and and so I was at the top of my class and thought I was going to do all these high flying things. But I just loved every piece of medicine. I, I I just loved all of it, all of it. I couldn't let one piece of it go from my life. And so many somebody told me a long time ago said, man, if you're going to be a doctor, you need to be a dang doctor. You need to be a doctor and you need to take care of people. And that just flew all over me. And I said, you know, I don't want to be a a professional doctor. It just does one thing all day. I want to take care of people. And it just suit my personality. And so I think mm-hmm. the Lord led me down that path. And I just, I've never looked back. And I've been so thankful to be a family doctor. And I love, I love being a family doctor. And that leads to a quote that you have written in your book. Everything happens for a reason. Yes. So that's what you believe in, every single thing, even the COVID-19, everything that's happening, it's happening for a reason. Would you say a good reason? Um, that's chapter one. Everything happens for a reason. And chapter one starts um, with me at my favorite beach where I was vacationing on my family. And then a series of events, at least 10 different events, led me to be sitting in my truck when my wife pulls up to the um, patrol gate and the squelcher goes off that there's a five-year-old boy that fell in the pool and had dr- was drowning and that they needed the emergency medical system to come. Well, they were 30 minutes away. And my wife called me and um, I was in the truck and I rolled that boy over a minute later. And for me to be there, I'm not going to spoil the book because that's chapter one, just confirmed confirm my deep conviction and belief that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the best thing that happens to you is the worst thing that happens to you. I don't want to spoil the book. If you want to learn more, you know, read this book. (laughs) But um, my son was diagnosed with borderline autism. And just this past Saturday, he graduated from Clemson University. And I quoted that um, on Facebook. Sometimes the worst thing that happens to you ends up being the best thing that happens to you. And so... Learning that that is an attitude of gratitude. It really is to believe that even something as horrific as a pandemic can be one of the best things that may eventually unify our country or help us together. Having that belief and that expectancy that the best is yet to come is a way of life for me. And it's a winner's travel life. And that's what I'm encouraging everybody to believe. 
Yeah. To be open to that, right? That's right. Because the more open we are, the more possibilities we see, right? That's right. That's right. Talk to me for a moment about physical health in general. What are some of your best advice for physical health? Well, my as far as going to the doctor for the way I believe I doctor, or you're asking for physical health in general for the way you live each day? In general, I would say as a lifestyle. Lifestyle. Well, I believe everything in moderation. I, I really think a huge part of our lives need to be a focus on our diet, that I think food is poison, <laughs> mm, wow. especially with the wrong dose. And I, I always try to think, you know, so, you know, that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the doctors smoked. And they would smoke in your off in the office when you went to see them and stuff. And they were like, I mean, you wouldn't dare go to a doctor that was smoking in the room now. So, so I always try to think, what's the smoking of the future going to be? Is it going to be bread? And like, can you believe the doctors ate bread or Coca Cola? Or can you believe the doctors drank soft drinks? Something's going to come out with that. And I believe we're going to study some of these preservatives in food. I'm not a freak of any nature about worrying about this too much, but I predict that we're going to really learn about some of the bad things that we're putting in our body just to, um, you know, just so we can eat fast food and other products. So food is a, the number one, my number one recommendation that you need to change. Um, I like to eat six or seven times a day. Uh, I'm not perfect, but I strive to do that. And and I I think being frugal when you're eating and avoiding high carb, you know, high sugar diet and eating in moderation is important. I like the HIIT training for exercise, you know, at least three to five times a week where you get out and go for 10 minutes. And I I really support, you know, tons of water drinking. I I think a drink of alcohol is okay as long as it's moderation. I think an Oreo cookie is okay every now and then as long as it's one or two and, and you don't eat the whole box. I got to be careful. I'll eat the whole box. So that's what I recommend. Some people, they believe that the vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diets are the best for health. Do you agree with that somewhat? I do. I, I believe the evidence is more and more supporting that. And um, I think once we really get some studies out about some of these foods and how bad they're for you, people are really start turning to that more and more. It's just a little bit time consuming. And that's what's driven all these bad foods our way is that we do it for convenience. We we want to eat out of convenience and we really need to sit down and do meal prep and prep our foods. And so I, I think that'll take on in the next 20 years as well. So that's a good prediction. And another question I have is about your best advice. So I guess I have a lot of questions here with the, your best advice for or two. So for quitting bad habits. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think number one, number one for, for quitting bad habits is <laughs> you have got to just absolutely set a goal that you're going to quit it. You got to know what your um where you're going with it. So I think the number one way you quit a bad habit is right on your mirror, mm. right on your mirror. My daughter, Liza, taught me how to write on my mirror. And I didn't even know you could do that, but she got me <laughs> one of those right. dry, dry erase markers. And I, and, and my sister is a great example of quitting bad habits. She wrote on her mirror, I am going to quit smoking February the 3rd because I love Charlie Bott, her only son. And so 
January, I mean, we started working in November on her mind, and she read that aloud twice a day, every day, even if she didn't believe it. She read it out loud. So we set an urgent, emotional goal. It's huge. It's huge. And then, then we now she and I, she was a she had smoked a lot. So we used Chantix, which is a receptor blocker, which is really helped smokers quit. Um, she took that for three months. She set an urgent emotional goal. And on February 3rd, this is four years ago, she quit smoking. She has never picked up another one. Wow. So I encourage people every day. I'm a weight loss doctor. I encourage them to lose weight and we do it as natural as we can. I do help them with chemicals sometimes, but for the most part, setting that urgent emotional weight goal. I'm going to weigh this much by this much because I love them or I'm going to quit this. So set the goal. Don't be scared to fail. I, I, I think I quoted in the book, Michael Jordan. I have a poster sitting over my head right now where Michael Jordan said he failed over and over and over. And that's why he succeeds. And if Michael Jordan can fail, the, I think the greatest ball player of all time, certainly Clay Louder can. And I can get back up and try again. Most smokers quit after their third attempt. So I'm just a constant encourager. I'm a constant coach of, hey, get back up. You're all right. <laughs> let's try it again. Let's, you know, let's pick a let's pick another goal, another date. Let's put another date on it and and write it on your mirror. So that would be my recommendation. I love that. And I never heard it that way, setting the emotional goal. I call it meaningful goals. But yeah, <laughs> that makes so much sense to me, of course. Man, if you when she added her son's name to that, wow. she couldn't hardly say it without crying. Right. Right. And that that emotional goal in somebody, like I'm going to do this with that much passion, you cannot overcome a person like that. They are so steadfast, determined. It's, it's unbelievable. The next question is about your best advice for financial health. <laughs> financial health. Yes. Um, I've always been interested in money and the science of money and how to kind of how that plays into all this is very difficult, you know, and I'm still learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not perfect at, at money part of it. I, I really, I mean, I don't care one thing about it is what I've learned. As I get older, I could care less if I have any money. Now, I like to keep score. I'm a competitive athletic guy, so I like to keep score and see how much I, I can, how well I can do in life. Um, but, but my best advice with money is really, really keep it simple. And um, number one, set a goal, you know, pick how much money you want, how much money you want to make a year. I always recommend to, to get three checking accounts automatically. If you make $1,000 a, a paycheck, then you take out of that $1,000, 10%, put it in one bank account, which is your savings account. So you save 10%. Then I tie 10%. That's important to me. I put it in a tithing account. End of the year, I write a tithing account to my church and my charities. Um, and so I have those three bank accounts. And over time, especially for young people, um, I recommend that they take their money and put it in the stock market. And, um, you know, I don't give specific financial advice, but over time, over 30, 40 years, you can't beat just an index fund in the stock market, in the U.S. stock market. Over time, it has beat everything other kind of investments. Um, as I've gotten older, I've invested in real estate. Um, and I, so that, that's my number one recommendation is to just take time and do it and just save as much as you can, hopefully more than 10% and then set up a plan, set up a game plan for, for financial as much as you do anything else. 
Yeah. And this is something that we, especially women, for some reason, we don't talk about (laughs) often money and how to save it and spend it. That's a great thing because I do have a lot of women that are single or they're they're single moms trying to trying to make ends meet and it's very difficult for them to save. And we set up this automatic plan where they can just put their money into a pool and the next thing you know, it builds up over time. And they're shocked after, you know, five years of doing this, like, oh my, look at what look how I'm doing and saving and stuff. So, so you're right. That's a great point. Another thing powerful that you said was you become the top five people you hang out with. So this is very True from my perspective, too, but I'd like to ask you this question. What is to be a good friend? You are challenging me, and I love it. I love it. All right. To be a good friend, I really think it goes back to the love definition of time. It just it it requires your effort and dedication and thinking about them more than you think about yourself and just pouring um, effort into their lives, listening, good listening is a skill that people need to learn how to do um, with good friends and just to be there for them. Sometimes you don't really have to tell your friend everything what to do. Sometimes you have to listen the way they want to do things. So I guess that's my definition. I have to think on that one as well. I think you made a comment in your book. You talk about hope and how it is connected to healing physical, mental, and spiritual, but then also sense of humor, which is uh, so true. So (laughs) talk to me about how having a sense of humor is connected to hope. And also you mentioned becoming a good listener. Yes. Well, I mean, I I consider myself a healer and, and I do it quite differently than most doctors. I joke with almost all my patients I know their hobbies. I know their football team. I know if they like NASCAR because we're in the South. Or <clears throat> I just <laughs> I, I am intentional about learning something about somebody else that I can relate to them. And I I had such a excellent education, not only from Clemson, um, but my dad and growing up on a farm and you know having to work together with people that I learned to be able to joke with anybody at any time. And I. I think my patients love me for that. They can sit down and talk to me about everything. Two or three of them told me jokes today and just, hey, did you hear the one about this? You know, and we just, I just laugh with them. And I even got in trouble one time in medical school because they told me I wasn't being formal enough that I was laughing, you know, at my patients. And I said, sir, you are wrong. I am laughing with my patients and I'm laughing at myself. So, I, I I set out to prove that guy wrong, and here I am, thirty years later, still laughing with him. So I, you got to have hope to heal. So much of what we do is very, you know, you know, in medicine, a lot of what we do is wrong. I mean, you can look at Corona and look at some of the treatments that we have no idea. They said fifty percent of what they taught me in medical school was wrong. Well, which fifty percent? You know, so there's. There's a whole nother element to human healing and it has to do with hope and expectancy. And sometimes people just need to come in and air it out. Um, they have severe anxiety that goes along with their disease and I have to kind of calm them down. And once I get that body calm, uh, that mind calm, that body can heal. And that mind's got to believe it first. It's just like that urgent um, emotional goal. It's just like that attitude of gratitude. All that connects to healing in my 
in my view. And humor is a huge part of it. Because if I can make you laugh, you can't think about your troubles and laugh at the same time. <laughs> you, just, you just can't do it. So that's my Southern little, I like to tell little um, anecdotes and stories to my patients to make them laugh. And so I, I, it's worked for me. We're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. Before I ask them, would you like to add anything, read a passage in your book, or talk a bit more about the winner's travel concept? Um, number one, I want to thank you for, for having me, for picking me. I'm honored to be on your journey. Um, I love your work. I think you're doing a great job and you're serving people by at least putting yourself out there and being bold enough to have a platform and to ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a lot of these and this, you're, you've done an excellent job. These are great questions and you've made me think today. And I, I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. And, um, you. you know, you're a friend now. You're a friend now, so <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I have enjoyed it, and um, and I just like to add value to others' lives. This is what I want to do my next 30 years. This is my goal, to inspire just millions of people by telling the winner's travel lifestyle and story, and, um, and you know, my book's got a couple of miracles in it that really happened to me that are beyond anything in medicine that I could have seen. One One is a story of a 17-year-old asthma boy that came in and um, ended up on the ventilator, and I tried everything medical to to get him out of it, and nothing worked. And I promise you there was an angel in the emergency room that day, and the story will give you chills, and I would encourage your readers to, or your listeners to read it um, and just fill with the wonder and perspective of, hey, here's a doctor who doesn't believe 100% in the science. This guy believes mentally, physically, spiritually, there's something to all this more than just the science of it. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Oh, this is a layup. So success is pursuing a worthy goal, a worthy goal. It's not when you get the goal. I've obtained the uh, several goals in my life. I've obtained financial success. And you know, when I got there, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. Way better. The journey's way better than than when you reach the summit. So once you reach that goal, C.S. Lewis says, it's never too late to dream a a new dream or set a new goal. And I I remind myself that every single day, every single day. And um, I write new goals for myself all the time, daily goals, and I write yearly goals. You are successful when you are working towards a worthy idea or goal. So Listeners, right now, I want you to take time today to write down five goals. Where are you going? What do you want to see? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? What's your life look like? What's your new house look like? What are your, you know, young people? What's your, what's your kids look like? What's your, what do you want them to do? Where, where do you want to hang out? You know, who's your top five people? That's what the book's all about. And that's what I'm encouraging people to do it today, today. Put some urgency behind those goals and um, write them out. It'll change your life. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? The hardest lesson that I've learned is that I try to do everything. I feel like I'm one of the best people at motivating and helping people like this and um, being the office, um, the managing partner of my busy practice and seeing the patients. And I, I spread myself too thin. And that's, you can't do it. You can't do everything. 
So that's the best lesson I've learned about life. And it took me forever, ever to learn it is that I have to delegate and I have to get good people around me to, to do certain things. And certainly I might feel like I do that task better, you know, than anybody else, but I have to be able to let go and let other people do. And then and also not to expect as much out of other people. Sometimes I expect them to be motivated and ready to go like I am and everybody's not driven like me. And just to, just to have that healthy, you know, perspective of them and let them kind of get there on their own. That's another thing I've been frustrated with that I've learned lately. And two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything a different way? That's good because when your dad dies and you you think this way, you you do. And I have been intentional. I describe in my book two two games you can play. One's called the compliment game that my son taught me, where you go around the room and give three mm-hmm. compliments to each person. Mm-hmm. That's great to do with your family tonight. Do not wait on your obituary to hear what somebody thinks about you or what you think about someone else. Don't wait, you know. And the other game is called a winner's travel dinner. You have got to do this. You go around the room at dinner and you t- everybody tells their biggest weakness, then everybody tells their biggest strength. And then at the end, everybody goes around the room and tells them what they think about them. And it w- there's no way you can do it without crying. I don't know anybody. So I wouldn't change anything because I have learned this process over the years to where I have told almost everybody in my life what I think about them, either in a written word or in one of these games, and they know how Clay Ladder feels. So when when my when my body's gone, I hope it's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. I hope I get that nod because I have been very intentional about letting the people I know exactly what I think of them and how much I love them. I love that answer. Every time I hear that, I wouldn't change anything when people say that. And I love these games too. And I'll, I'll practice <laughs> with my husband. I don't have kids, but I'll, I'll practice with him. <laughs> you can try that winner's travel dinner. Weaknesses, strengths, and then, hey, where, where do you could even add, where do, where do we want to be in 10 years? Mm. Let's game plan it out together. I did it with my wife on my honeymoon and it's made all the difference. That sounds good. Yeah. Hopefully he will. And you said, yeah, he will, he will agree to that. He's playful though. Yeah, he should be. Okay. Yes. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, I'll share this story with you. So last year on July the 1st, um, I had built a dream house with my wife, who was my high school sweetheart. And we built a house in the country in the middle of nowhere, and we just loved it. And um, had a tragic event happen. Our house burned to the ground while we were there um, all of a sudden. And we were able to get out. I lost my little squirrel hunting dog, but that was it. And um, my family was good. I got everybody out of the um, fire, and it burned in 10 minutes. So I lost every material thing I had in 10 minutes minutes. In fact, this is the last chapter um, of the book. And so um, <clears throat> I, I try to ask people all the time, you know, if you only had 10 minutes, what would you say? Who would you call? What would you tell them? You know, who would you, um, who would you phone? Who would you say, you know, what, what happened? So my, I guess my big things with that is I'm, I'm so thankful 
I have the best life. I have an attitude, gratitude. I could care less about my house. I got to see my kids handle that in a mental, spiritual, and physical way that very few people get to see. You know, I got to see my kids tell on Facebook Live what was important to them, and it wasn't a single thing about that house. And so I'm like, holy cow, Clay, you did good. You did good with these kids, you know? So so one is just an attitude of gratitude. Um, I guess the second thing is I'm not as tough as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I um, pride myself on being a Southern man and grow up tough on a farm, but I cried like a baby and um, it got to me. And watching all these people bring me gifts and accepting their grace and love was very difficult for me. But I learned, you know, I'm not as tough as I thought. Um, and I And I learned, you know, hey, you only got 10 minutes. You only got 10 minutes. Life is short. Do it today, Clay. Do it today. Let let somebody know today how you feel for them and find somebody needs help and help them. And so it just kind of recommitted my life that this is my motto. This is my message. This is the way I hope to change the world and bring us all together. And so it just kind of affirmed my, those are the three things I know, I guess. I love your wisdom. I love your presence. Genuine, honest, open. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Clay. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. and Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. I have one more question, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, of course, I have a website. Um, I have a winterstravel.org website or claylouder.com. You can get the book Winter's Travel on Amazon. Um, I am on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and even LinkedIn. So I'm branching out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to figure out all this technology, but I'm on all that stuff. And I'd I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear some um, words of affirmation to your listeners. So please give me a little bit of feedback. I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much again, Clay. And we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Clay Louder and his work, please visit claylouder.com and winnerstravel.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.